morning we are going to be continuing our series in Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians, uh, I think, 1-9 uh, this morning. To kind of get us back into that mode, Colossians is a book written by one man to one congregation. And, uh, and, and what happened was is they started making copies of these books and sent them after they would come in and they would read it through own, to their own church. Other people would say, well, we want, to, we want to hear what Paul had to write also. So they would handwrite copies of it and they would send them out to all the other uh, churches that are around. It's a little bit slower than our process today. Today we just hit a button and it goes to thousands of people if we wanted to, sometimes millions of people. But back then they had to hand copy it. But we need to understand that the Apostle Paul's writings were sent out to the whole known world at the time. So if you were interested in it, you could find his writings and read them. Now it's hard for us to think back and look back to, you know, 60 AD. It's hard for us to think back to the 1960s, much less go back to 60 AD and understand and think like that. Imagine the Colossians receiving this letter from the Apostle Paul. Think of it like this. My mom has this kind of diary, if you want to call it that, or, or this letter written by a relative of ours, and, and they were going cross-country at the time. Wagon and horses and mules, cross-country. And every day, one of my relatives, she would sit down, and, and, and as they were traveling, she would write down, oh, we stopped, and, uh, we stopped at this point, and so-and-so got the fire going, and so-and-so went and found water, and, you know, all these things. And it's kind of fascinating to me. It might be fascinating to a few of you guys that love kind of history and that kind of stuff like that. But for the most part, you're going, oh, that's interesting, and you wouldn't think another thing about it. But Paul's writings are completely different. Paul's writings, everybody was interested in them. It was fascinating to the rest of the world because, because he is a part of not only his own family, but he's a part of all of our families. My family's writings are interesting to my family, but Paul's family is, involves all of us, so we're interested in it. He's almost like a father figure of the early church. Uh, his writings are God-ordained, so, so people would seek them out. And then when the Apostle Paul would actually come to town, I mean, people would just flock to hear what he had to, to say, huge amount of people. And the town of Colossae was not that big. Almost as if he was writing, you know, writing a letter to Tulare instead of San Francisco, and people would say, well, why did he write a letter for them? You know, why don't you write it for a larger church or whatever? But he had heard about these guys, and these guys did receive it, and it was read to the church. And I'm sure it was overwhelming for them to, to hear the things, that Paul was literally thinking about them and praying for them. I mean, this is like receiving a letter from the President of the United States. I mean, it's a big deal. He doesn't sit down and write letters every day. You know what I'm saying? If you ever, you know, are part of that or whatever, it's a big deal. Well, for Paul and the Christians there in Colossae, this was a big deal. And in verse 9, he says, For this reason, since the day we have heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. I mean, this is a real prayer. When, you know, <laughs> he's basically saying, when I, when I think of you guys, uh, this is the type of thing, this is what I'm thinking of. I want you to be bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened of, with all power according to the glorious might, so that you might, may have great endurance and patience. 
and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you in the share of his inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now that is just, an that, that whole two paragraphs here is, I mean, you could pick that apart. It's just almost overwhelming for us to think through this. This is a wonderful prayer. And to think the Apostle Paul prayed that for you, for you. That's an amazing thought. We need people praying for us. Do you have someone that prays for you? Can you sit back and think, so-and-so, when I have a difficult time, so I, I call so-and-so, I need them to pray for me, and they will pray for me. You know, sometimes, you know, for some people, prayer is it's almost like God has his English degree, and it has to be proper English in the way you pray and so forth. And then there's other people that are so passionate. It's like Paul. Paul just writes everything run on sentences. I mean, just... He's not concise at all. He goes, and another thought, and another thought, and another thought. And some people pray like that. And either way is okay because God, is, God can understand both. But it's good for us to pray, and especially for other people. It's comforting to know that someone is praying for you because it fills you with hope. So keep praying for each other. Keep a list of things that you pray for. It's good news when you find someone that will pray for you. And if you don't have somebody, you need to start thinking, who can I, who can I friend that, that, that will start praying for me? And sometimes we have to put an effort into this and, and build that, uh, you know, build that uh, rapport, build that friendship up to know that, hey, when I have a times of trouble, I don't have to explain every little nuance and every little detail of what's going on. I just need to call them and say, you need to pray for me today. Because, oh, pray for me today. I'm in this situation. I can't even tell you about the situation. Just pray for me today. And then you know that when you hang up, that person will go and pray for you. You need to find someone like that. Because if you don't find someone like that, then you've really become part of the problem. Because when someone prays for you, and you pray for somebody, you will either be filling yourself up or you will be filling them up through those prayers. Look at verse 9 here. It says, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, all spiritual wisdom and understanding, or through all spiritual wisdom and, all, and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, to be filled up. Now Christ was crucified and resurrected around 30 AD, somewhere around then. And this book right here was written about 30 years after that, so around 60 AD. And this was, about 60 AD is when some of the apostles started getting, started getting persecuted and, and executed. John was the only one to, to live into the 90s. Imagine that. Thomas was way down in India and, and he was martyred. These guys went all over the known world at the time. And the early church sincerely missed these guys. Both the Apostle Paul and, and the Apostle Peter were executed in Rome on the same day. The Romans were trying to quash this whole Christian thing, trying to squish it out, trying to say, it is no more. If we can just get rid of these leaders, it'll be over and done with. Now, reality is, we know that that didn't happen. It wouldn't happen. But these guys, if they could just 
You know, imagine the, the church in Rome to receive the book of Romans. They were the first church to ever read the book of Romans. And one day we're going to study a book of Romans. It's going to be a fascinating study. But these, you know, they would miss these guys. In fact, in, in Rome they had these um, limestone quarries. And as, and as they started building, you know, as Rome started getting larger and larger, they didn't have much land to bury people because they're sitting there going, this is precious land, we don't want to use it for, for uh, burials and stuff. So they started using those quarries as burial sites. So they, we, you know, we call them the catacombs. Basically, we'd put, you know, dead people down there and their, their bones, once all the, the flesh comes off and once it, you know, it just turns down the bones, then they would stack all the bones up and put them in ossuary boxes or other things like this. We call them the catacombs. But the Christians would, uh, you know, the Romans persecuted the Christians because the Christians would not bow down to the Roman gods. So, so they actually considered Christians atheists. Now, today we, we think of the word atheist and we think of somebody who does not believe in a God. Well, back then, atheists meant you, didn't, you only believed in one God, and, and, and we don't really consider that a true God, so therefore you're an atheist because you don't believe in, in this God, the Jupiter God, this God, that God, and that God, and you certainly won't bow down to the emperor, so we're going to go after you and try to kill you. So in Rome, they, they fled underground to these catacombs, and, uh, which were the cemeteries, and, and some of the rooms down there would fit 100 to 150 uh, people that would come down and worship. And on the tunnel walls, you would find this graffiti stuff. And, and the, some of it was, was phenomenal. I mean, done really well. And some of it's like graffiti in an, another one I'll show you. But literally, this is down in the catacombs where, where somebody drew a picture of Peter and Paul, which you can see there. And, and then you can see the, the ichthus or, or the fish, uh, the, the, you know, the Christian symbol that we like to put on the back of cars, and it's called the ichthus. Um, and you can see on the other side of, of that, that there's an anchor there. The anchor was kind of the anchor of my soul and, and that whole concept from one of, the, one of Paul's writings. So that was one of the early church symbols. And then literally, you, uh, here's, a, here's another one. You see the chi and the rho, which is the, uh, the X and the P there. And for all you get people to get upset at, at somebody who misspells Christmas, they put an X and it must, you know, Xmas. And people freak out, you're taking your ex and Christ out of Christmas. No, Christ, ex is one of the symbols for Christ, okay? So don't get on the high horse about that. Now, yes, we kind of change meetings today and so forth, but don't, don't freak out about this stuff, okay? And then one of the other uh, writings on the wall, this one is kind of hard to see, but this one says, Peter and Paul pray for victor. And I wish Anna and Victor were here today because I'd tell him he's totally covered. You know, they've already asked to pray for him. But Paul basically said, we will never stop praying for you guys. So there's prayers all over these catacomb walls and, and personal prayers and, and stuff like martyrs. And he's talking, you know, when they say martyrs, some of the Christians that have gone before then have, that have died, pray for so-and-so. And so you get all this kind of stuff on the walls. Now, scriptures do not support the idea of praying for someone to connect them with God. Uh, you know, so-and-so has died already, and, and I, I need to pray for them to connect them with, with God. Scriptures don't back that up. It does say that we don't know what to pray for, and the Spirit intervenes for us and prays for us. But it doesn't say, pray to Paul. It doesn't say pray to Peter. It doesn't say pray to Mary or John or anyone else. It doesn't support that. So we have to be careful not to allow tradition to supersede the scriptures. 
But you could imagine a generation after most of the disciples were killed. You could imagine in 90 A.D., then you can imagine another you know, generation, say 125 A.D., and, and, and for them to open up a letter from these guys who, who wrote them, how comforting it would be as the church was persecuted. They would stand up front and, in front of the church and they would read and discuss these letters, just as we do today. And the words that Paul uses at the beginning of the letters is like a foundation for them. A foundation of, uh, think of it like a foundation of a building. Love and peace and joy and hope and faith. So when hard times hit during a you know, persecution or earthquake, ironic, uh, you know, it's very ironic that two years after this church receives this letter in Colossae, Colossae's wiped off the map from an earthquake. You know, I mean, it'd be crazy for them to, to rebuild a city right on an earthquake zone, right? Who would ever, ever do that? Back then, if the city was destroyed by an earthquake, guess what they did? They got up and they moved. It's only today's day and age we go, well, we can make the building stronger. <laughs> we sort of can, but when a big one hits, it's, yeah, it's not always good. In fact, most Roman ruins are there because earthquakes, because they moved a lot. So we find these spectacular ruins left from the Romans because of, you know, we didn't know that, that after 61 AD that there would be no more record of Colossae because of the earthquake in religion or history. I don't think Paul knew that this would happen two years later, but he did know that Jesus said this, in the world that we live in, we will have times of trouble. Has anyone had any trouble lately? Yeah, we're all sitting there going, uh-huh, either it's this or it's that. Sometimes it's a little trouble, even though we think it's really huge. Sometimes it's little, and then sometimes it is huge trouble. And we're sitting there going, I don't, uh, I don't, uh. You know, many preachers preach, or they change the word trouble to prosperity, and they teach prosperity. But the reality is, we will have trouble in this world. That's just a part of life. That's why Jesus said in John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So it's like you will have trouble. But he says, as the New Yorker would say, or I'd get robbed to say it, you know, forget about it. I can't do the accent, okay? But that's what we got to get to because Jesus said, I will overcome the world. This type of thing is uh, that the believers, you know, would, would hold on to during the times of, of troubles and during the times of prayer, you know, like the Apostle Paul, you know, it, it became the foundation of the first century church. This is the most important part of the building. The, mo you know, the, the most important part of the building is not the paint color. It is not, you know, um, you know, what to, you know, what do we hang on the walls? What couches or chairs we put into it? Or if we have a quiet dishwasher or, or a loud dishwasher. Those things are, are, are miscellaneous. The most important part of the building is what? The foundation. Plain and simple. Period. 
This is one reason why at the beginning of books I teach so slowly, and, and you know, toward the end of the book it's almost like you're like, man, Alan, you're rushing. You did a whole chapter in, in one, you know, one teaching. Well, it's because we've already laid down the foundation. I'm laying down the foundation of what the writer says. And then once we get to the walls, those things go up a little, a little faster, a little quicker. If we don't lay the foundation, later on Paul throws out words like grace or faith or, or hope, and you know, we just don't get what he's trying to say. We just don't, we don't get it because we just fly right by it. You know, unfortunately, we usually do the opposite. We try to get into the beginning of a book, and we try to get through the, the beginning of it pretty quick, don't we? If I can just get past the intro, if I can get just past this, to, to get to the meat of the book... But the, but the Apostle Paul says, if I don't do this the right way, you're not going to be able to digest that meat. It's like if I were to give Grayson some, you know, some, you know, some tri-tip today. Would that be good for him? No. His foundation is milk right now. His, you know, his, his intestines and all, he's got to learn how to digest everything. I love tri-tip. I mean, can't you tell? I mean, I love tri-tip. But I can't give it to the, to the you know, one month and seven day year old kid. I mean, that's just not wise. It's the same thing. So when we get some of the texts, you know, we've covered some of these words, grace and peace and truth and love and hope and, and faith. And, and those, you know, the, those previous sermons are online. So if you miss those, go back because we need to understand those before we move forward. In fact, Going back to Colossians 1, 9, it says, We have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Let's think about this for a second. Let's focus on this for a moment. Don't really think of anything else. Think about this. What jumps out at you in the middle of this sentence? I mean, don't just, don't just sit here as we, you know, every Sunday as we spoon feed each other. I don't want to spoon feed you. You're older than Brandon. I don't have to put the feet on there and go, preloaded, for him to pick it up and eat it. You need to look at the Scripture and say, what comes out? Now, you know, let's, use, let's look at the word fill. This implies some type of container. And that container is filled with, with other stuff. And when it's filled with other stuff and when there's no room, and we ask, well, what could it be filled with? Well, sin bad relationships that we shouldn't be involved with, other things that are dragging us down, maybe some possessions and that's become your God. Maybe it needs to be emptied. And sometimes when those things are emptied, it's painful. Oh, man. I mean, you, you have a friend you've been friends with for years, but they just keep dragging you down, keep dragging you down into that, that mire and that muck and all that, and you're sitting there going, I just need to, to cut off this friendship. Sometimes that's the best thing we can do. But it's not an easy thing to do. That hurts, doesn't it? But sometimes it needs to happen. It's almost like, uh, you know, to be filled with the knowledge of His will, it says. It's almost like the container is passive. Sometimes we approach the, the word knowledge or wisdom and we think studying, we think working, doing our homework, burning the midnight oil. Uh, you know, nothing is wrong with any of those things. And, you know, some scriptures say we need to burn the midnight oil, we need to work hard, and we should do that. But in this case, the Apostle Paul is saying, uh, you know, that this will, this, this thing will just come upon us, fill us like a baptism of the Spirit. Have you ever really experienced that? 
Now, some people say if you don't understand or don't, don't, if you haven't been filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can't go to Christian. I mean, you can't go to heaven because you're not a Christian. That's a bunch of rubbish, okay? How do you become a Christian? You acknowledge that there's nothing that you can do to save yourself. You acknowledge that Jesus is the only one that can save you from sin. You acknowledge that Jesus is the only Son of God, and you acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. You allow Him to direct your life and to fill you with the Holy Spirit. That's how you become a Christian. You say, Lord, I'm not in control. I understand who you are. Please come into my life. And you don't have to use those exact words. It's an understanding of saying, you are God, I am not, and I accept that. And the Holy Spirit comes into us. Now, do I know exactly how that happens? No, because I do not know the exact understanding of the Holy Spirit. You see what I'm saying? It's a mystery in some ways. Now, what is cool is that somehow the Holy Spirit draws us in at the same time and we have this, you know, we have a choice to acknowledge him or not. There's no other way to God except that way and through Jesus Christ. But there are times in our Christian walk when we are really just, really at that point where we just, we feel the presence of God. You're like, man, God is in the middle of this. And, and we try to duplicate this. And we, when it happens once, you want to do it again. So you want it to duplicate it. But the Apostle Paul is saying that, that it is a received wisdom that fills you. That fills you with what? The knowledge of his will. And so many of us, you know, we throw around this stuff. Are you in God's will? Well, you got to figure out what God's will is. And sometimes we have to go to God and say, God, help me receive what your will is in my life. Help me with that. It's not knowledge of English literature. It's not knowledge of mathematics, good things to know, but the, that's not what he's talking about here. Filled with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom. So this is not just head knowledge, but it's really the application of knowledge. It's not about intelligence of the word, but a sense of a person being filled and having received wisdom. The first disciples received the wisdom of God. I mean, they walked around with Jesus and they picked up a lot. But even the, near the end, they were not getting it. Some even tried to, to go back to fishing after Jesus was crucified. But then he was resurrected and he filled them with the Spirit. So they were beginning to, to understand what, that, what was going on and what was changing in their life. Remember when Jesus asked them, who do people say I am? Then he asked, well, who do you say I am? And Peter just nails it. What does he say? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Christ says, Peter, man, you've been doing your homework. You've been studying a lot. You've become really smart lately. You're ready to be, you know, go out there and become the Pope. That was a joke. You can laugh. No, he says, Peter, Peter, lucky you. The only way that you know that is how the Holy Spirit told you. It was like an info download into his head. And this was great for Peter because he finally got something right. You know, Peter's like the man with the foot in his mouth all the time, you know? I mean, my whole life, I mean... <laughs> My whole life has been what not to say and what not to say again. You know what I'm saying? 
to be filled with wisdom, to be filled with that. I mean, do you relate to this? What's interesting for Peter is, after Pentecost, Peter didn't have any more moments really like this. After Pentecost, Peter didn't have these times where there's a foot in the mouth. You know, a couple here, but, but man, once he was filled by the Holy Spirit... I mean, here they are in winter, and Jesus is going, who do you say I am? And by spring, the next year, they're starting to get it, and this is done by the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul is talking about, to be filled with the wisdom, to be filled with the knowledge. And a beautiful thing about wisdom and knowledge, it's extremely practical. Our God is a very practical God. It is not a wisdom and knowledge that can be used or that can't be used in the real world. God wants us to understand Him and use Him and that knowledge in this real world. It's something that we can use on, you know, Wednesday at 2.15 when we have that meeting or we're going in to, to talk to family or we're doing this or doing that and, and we're sitting there going, God, I need some of your presence in the middle of this situation. When people kind of look at us and go, well, how did you know that? And this is where we have to be careful, you know, to say, well, it was God. God's the one that led me this way. God's the one that did this for me. God's the one that helped me understand this. Because we need to acknowledge God and say, thank you, Lord. You are my helper. One of the greatest names of God is you are my helper. An ever-presence helper in the time of need. To not kind of beef up ourselves and say, well, I just figured it out. Not to put the onus on ourselves, but, but to, to thank God for that. And he goes on and says, asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Wouldn't it be great to know God's will? I mean, what a gift it would be to know God's will for eternity. How about for the world situation? For mankind? Or even our own present situation i don't know which one would be cooler to know or tougher to know to understand god's will i mean i think most of us are stuck at what is god's will for my marriage what are god's you know what is god's will for for my kids or or for my job or my situation in life because we live in a world where we are the center of the universe right I mean, Brandon's world is being rocked because he was the center of the universe in our home. And now there's a new universe and they're clashing. You know, as soon as I put Grayson down last night, Brandon jumped up to my lap and knocked my computer over because I thought, I finally got a chance. I can, I can finish something I need to finish. And he just jumps right up. I'm like, whoa, computer. Had to shut the computer, put it away. Brandon wants to sit in my lap because I hey, finally have space. You know, those two you know, worlds are clashing. Those two wills are clashing. But our focus needs to be, you know, lifted up sometimes to the bigger picture of what God is trying to accomplish in this world, to see God working in this world, not just in my life. Because we are so focused on ourselves, aren't we? And God's sitting there going, I want you to focus outward to, you know, don't forget the bigger picture. Because when we get to the bigger picture, things kind of calm down a little bit for us. We're not so irritated by life. Allow God to direct us. Because I tell you, every little thing can irritate us in this life. And when we back up and look at the big picture, we start to understand, oh, well, this is going on. That's why this happened. You see what I'm saying? A lot of times we're so freaked out about this happening that we're not looking at like, well, what's the reason why this happened? Oh, well, because this 
is going on. And we start to understand the bigger picture, allow God to direct us. To go to God in the morning and say, here is my mess that I need you to fix today. Now help me focus on your stuff today. And then come back at noon and pray. You know, this is one of the things that I I think as much as um, I, I think the Muslim religion is evil in many ways, this is one area where they got it. They pray five times a day. They in a sense, religiously pray five times a day. I don't want us to religiously pray five times a day. I want us to connect with God throughout the day and say, God, here is my mess. Here is my stuff. And then sometimes, Lord, thank you for directing me. Thank you for loving me. You've got to have that balance there in the morning and in the, in the afternoon and in the evening. The best way to study uh, you know, God is to get to know people who know the Word people who don't go off on tangents invented by man. A good way to study God is to go out in the nature and see his creation sometimes, to get away from our TVs, our computers, our, you know, cell phones. Introduces us to the world. I'm always on the news on the cell phone. I don't play the games. I don't do all, I'm always on the news. Sometimes it's like I need to put that away and focus on God to see how wonderful he is, to see his creation. I mean, it's so awesome to have a baby around the house right now because you you start to see God in a different way, to understand that, that God created him and knew him before he was born, that God knit him or put him together. That's an amazing thing. And to see him really grow, it's just, it's unbelievable. I don't see how people can cannot see God when they see a baby. But the, really, the, the, the reason is because they're focused on the crying, they're focused on the diaper changes, they're focused on the lack of sleep, the feeding. If I could just get his mouth open, I could put the pacifier in so he'd be quiet. That's what we're kind of focused on, right? Instead of looking at it like God created this little boy. But to sit back and see the wondrous nature of God, his creation of a baby, it's amazing. And then go out into to nature. Nature and church is, is a good way to know God. And then to sit down with God and to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with His wisdom and not the earth's wisdom. To fill you with, with the knowledge of His will. To fill you with the understanding of God. Because knowledge without understanding is pretty much useless, Right? You ever go into somebody's house? It's usually a rich person. They have this library. It's a beautiful library. All the you know books. They have the same you know backing, the same covers on them, and all that. They've never read those books. They're up there for show. Okay, some of them may have, but I'm just saying, you know, to have that, but to not read them. I mean, that's like having the books but no understanding. To observe Jesus to go out into the world, to observe Jesus, to have that knowledge and understanding and how it applies to your life. This is what I like to try to do with Brandon because knowledge is extremely important. I try to teach him some life lessons before he gets hurt, right? And we all do that with young kids. Okay, if you're going to, Brandon, if you're going to do that again, this is what could happen, you know. So the other day we were talking about the center of gravity. Uh, I know, I'm just a riot at home, you know. 
uh, talking about kind of center of gravity and stuff. But for him, this understanding of this concept is good because he just doesn't stand on one side of the stool and try to get up on the counter because what happens? The stool flops on him, right? It's going to knock him over. So we start to understand. He's all proud he understood. He goes to mom and he, and he goes, Mom, let me see your arm. And he starts to yank down and pull her over, you know? He's like, see, I changed your center of gravity. Lisa comes out and says, well, thanks for teaching him about this inner gravity. But to understand God's will is like the, like the center of gravity for our lives. If we would just stop being so annoyed by God trying to direct our lives, we would learn from His Spirit. What makes me sad is that we are afraid. Like fundamental Christians, afraid of a fresh touch in the Holy Spirit. Or, or maybe a, you know, somebody from the Catholic background who think that the priests and the nuns are supposed to do that kind of stuff. That is not for me. They just tell me what to do and what to say, and that's what I do. Or the other spectrum where, where it's all about emotion and, and no learning from the Word of God ever takes place. We need to be somewhere in the middle to ask God for His wisdom, to ask God for His strength, to ask Him for answers when we are confused. You know, have any of us been confused in the past week about something? Hmm. Have any of us gone to God and said, God, help clear up my confusion? I'm, I'm hoping the answer is yes to that for some of us, okay? And if it hasn't been, maybe that should be you asking God to clear up some of that confusion. All these things come from the wisdom of God. To ask God to replenish us, to make everything okay, to give me the wisdom that I need for this day. You know, as Christians, as humans, we're very good at the I told you so thing. This is why I don't make a great counselor. Because I'm like, well, I told you this thing was going to happen, didn't I? And you did it anyway. You know, I'm a good father in that sense. I told you, and see what happened. And you have to try to teach him, you know. And we need to learn from the decisions that, that we make. But praise God, God is not like that. Grace doesn't come within, you know, within, I told you so, Alan. Christ is more like, I forgive you, I forgave you, now go and sin no more. Now, even though I'm not a good counselor, I've learned one thing from God. It's the ability to look past all the problems and say, don't worry, we will help you out. When somebody comes in time of need, as a church, I, I feel we've been there where, where people you know, do feel accepted when they've messed up. And we say, okay, you know what? Don't worry about that. We're going to help you out. We're not like the old lady that goes, you know, and just points that finger and that accusatory expression and all that. You know, we don't want to be a church like that. Now, one more thought about wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge can be useless sometimes. We live in an information age where everything is at our, our fingertips. Yes, it has helped us out a lot, but knowledge without wisdom is not only a waste of time, it can be toxic. Knowledge says, get more of it. Wisdom says, you've had enough, now wisely apply it to your life. Wisdom takes the smallest amount of knowledge and does something with it. Wisdom knows that knowledge is like plutonium. 
a little can go a long way. Plutonium, atomic bombs, all those type of things. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't take much to produce a lot. And it can be used either for good or bad. Wisdom can take you know, one scripture and, and etch it into a person's brain and it can become kind of like their, their life verse and the goal for that person. Where knowledge says, hey, you've got to read the whole Bible and you've got to read the whole Bible every year. Where wisdom says, no, 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 hey, 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 you know that, that verse Psalm 6211? And I'm just picking it out of the air. I have no idea what Psalm 6211 is. That's what you need right now. That is wisdom. To sit with that about two years of your life and, and build the foundation off the Word of God. That's what wisdom is. Not that knowledge is bad, don't get me wrong, but to say, let me do something with, what the, you know, with the knowledge that I have. How much is enough? I, only wisdom can tell you that. Think of it like this. Give knowledge to a gossip and see what happens. Give knowledge to a greedy person see what happens. Without wisdom, you see what happens. You see, knowledge has to come with wisdom, and wisdom always promotes goodness. Education is not the key to the world without it being applied with wisdom. You know, knowledge is the evening newscast that tells us all we need to do to get past airport security is to do this, this, and this. This is what happened. And it just tells the whole world, yeah, if you do that, that, and that, you can get past airport security. That's knowledge. I don't know how wise it is to be telling everybody about it. You know what I'm saying? Or the background checks for airport workers aren't thorough. Or how easy it is to come across the, the U.S. border for terrorists. And, you know, how to break into someone's car without a key fob. You know, that's been a, the big news. How to control somebody's car with a computer. They're all about the news. It's telling you how to, you know, that this can be done. Well, that's great because I want a whole bunch of young kids that know computers really well to go out there and hack into cars so they can kill me. You know, you know what I'm saying? Knowledge is not always a good thing. It has to be applied with wisdoms. You know, you can get a little gadget off of eBay and just, you know, do this and this and push these buttons and boom, the cars unlock. I mean, come on. Well, thanks, newscaster. Now every teenager knows how to go do this. So you can see knowledge without wisdom can be dangerous. Knowledge without wisdom is what gave us, you know, East Coast seminaries that turned into Ivy League schools that used to be full of the presence of God who are now completely void of God. That's knowledge without wisdom. Every university of, you know, of California, you know what their motto is? Let there be light. Where, are they, where did they get that from? Genesis. That's great. Now, did you know there's six different ways you can cl classify yourself uh, on their campuses now? What I mean is, you know, it used to be, are you male? Are you a female? Now there's six different ways that you can classify yourself. It's not wise. It's not wise. Now next week we'll, we'll go through, you know, verse 10 and on. It says, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. Oh, that we could do that. Oh, man. Bearing fruit in every good work, 
growing in knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We need to continually understand that through Jesus, we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. I applaud the Catholic Church in in this area. They want you to go to confession a lot. Why is that? Well, the Bible says we need to confess to one another. They've taken that to mean you have to confess to a priest. You don't. You can confess to one another. But it was an idea of you go and you confess your sins, and then they tell you you are forgiven of your sins. We need to be reminded that we have redemption through Jesus Christ, and we have forgiveness for our sins. All we have to do is ask God for that forgiveness. That's all we have to do. But for some reason, we've turned it into we have to do this, and we have to do that, and uh, this, this, and this, and then I have to correct that, and do that, and do that, and do that, before I can ever approach God. And God's like, no, 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 throw all that out the window and come to me and ask for forgiveness of sins because I have enough grace to forgive you. That is an amazing God. A God who doesn't say, well, you have to do 14 steps before you can come to me. Amen? Amen. Well, let's stand and pray as the worship team comes and we will enjoy a good meal together afterward today. Lord, we we thank you that you are a God that's full of forgiveness and grace and mercy. We ask for your your knowledge, the knowledge of your will through wisdom, that we would understand how to, to be in this world, how to act in this world, how to operate in this world, not only in our home, but in our work environment, an environment with friends and family, that we would be that shining light on a hill, that is not hidden, but that shows the whole world who you truly are. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you, and may he give you all the things that he offers. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.